Something is happening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's all right. <laughs> There's a fire. <laughs> we can wait. Would you uh, bow your heads with me, please, and join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for uh, the gift of your presence with us. Thank you that even while we wait, we have everything that we need. Thank you that you are a God who both speaks and listens to us. Thank you for all of the ways that you speak to us and for all of the ways that you listen to us. Thank you for this time of speaking and listening. Help us to be attentive. Help us to be open. Help us to be responsive. Help us to be your people. And as this time of worship in communication with you unfolds, use this space in this speaking and listening to shape us more and more ever so slowly, ever so patiently, into the sorts of people that you have always longed for us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to look at a text in 2 Peter today. 2 Peter, chapter 3. And I would... um, I'd like to just go ahead and back up a few verses and begin with the first verse of Second Peter chapter 3. So Peter is writing, as you recall, we've been working our way through um, some of the, um, the epistles, some of the letters of the New Testament for Advent this year. It's a little bit of a different perspective than the perspective that we normally achieve by looking at the Gospels where the story is told. Uh, The letters of the New Testament help us to understand the significance of the stories that are told, to understand how it is that we live our lives in light of the stories that are told about the birth and the coming of Jesus. And so uh, this series is all about uh, beginning to live Advent-shaped lives and what that could possibly mean for us and for uh, each other. So, Second uh, Peter chapter 3. This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember and understand what the holy prophets said long ago, what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. First, I want to remind you that in the last days there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire. This will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back, did he? Well, then where is he? Mm, 
Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. And they deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command. And he brought the earth up out of the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the world with a mighty flood. And God has also commanded that the heavens and the earth will be consumed by fire on the day of judgment when ungodly people will perish. But you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time for everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and everything in them will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. And since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy, godly lives you should be living. You should look forward to that day and hurry it along. The day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. That will be the end of chemistry. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth that he has promised. A world where everyone is right with God. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. And remember, the Lord is waiting so that his people have time to be saved. We'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy and inspired word. Amen. Uh, since Advent is a word that means coming. Advent is about the coming of Jesus. Uh, Advent is about both remembering his first coming into the world, and Advent is also about anticipating and looking forward to his next coming into the world, his return. Therefore, Advent is about waiting It's about remembering the waiting that was happening in the centuries, in the decades, in the days before the birth of baby Jesus. And it's about being in touch with our own longing and our own waiting that we do today. And because Advent is about waiting, uh, it is also about patience. Are you... A patient person? Do you have a lot of patience? How many of you uh, wandered into the gym and selected the cake that you would be uh, eating later today? I have mine scoped out. Yeah, there's a few of them. Uh, How many of you have wondered to yourself, uh, uh, are the Christmas songs going to show up anytime soon? Even though this is Advent, the season of waiting. How many of you uh, feel a little bit rushed, a little bit anxious, like you just don't have enough time? How 
many of us are patient. If you are like most of our culture, at the very least, it is a struggle to be patient. The pace of life and the expectation of immediate service, immediate solution, immediate response, erode away what patience we have, like dunes that are exposed to the sea and to the wind. And when it comes to the most important facets of our life in this world, our patience can seem to be especially challenged, waiting patiently for the results of a medical test, waiting patiently for a jury to return, waiting patiently for a positive pregnancy test, waiting patiently for justice to come. All of it seems often beyond our grasp. And so here Peter gives voice to the impatient. Peter gives voice to those who have taken the reins of control into their own hands. He gives voice to those who are tired of waiting and critical of waiting. And they say in verse 4, Jesus promised that he would come back again. Well, let's see it then. From the day that Peter dipped his reed pen into ink and pressed it to the papyrus, to our day of Instagram and Twitter and texting, followers of Jesus have been waiting for the return of their Lord and doubting it. Jesus ultimate and eventual return, we are told, will be an event that establishes, first of all, God's judgment in verse 10. It will be a moment where God comes and finally renders judgment over the creation that he has established. And then it's also a time of God's righteousness in verse 13. God's righteousness. In other words, God will finally and ultimately and decisively put things right again. All of those things that have ever seemed unfair. Those times when you have noticed that good people suffer and evil people prosper. Uh, All of those times that we have wondered, why, God? Why would you let this happen? Why, God, would you let this happen to such a good and gentle person? a missionary who has sacrificed the majority of her best years in that village that you called her to, and now she's been stricken with Alzheimer's and suffers alone. Why, God, would you do that? Why, God, would you allow children to suffer like that? Why would you let those children die at the hands of a violent gunman in their classroom. Where were you? Why would God allow evil people to have so much power? And every time that we have been baffled by the seeming silence of God, in each moment... 
that the world has groaned under the weight of tyranny and genocide and violence will be answered. It will all finally be answered and accounted for and set right. And to live an Advent-shaped life is to live a life that knows that this will happen. The universe is slowly bending towards justice. And yet, Peter flips the script for us. Peter flips the script and and he says to us that the beginning of the story of our patience as we wait for this triumphant turn towards justice to finally be realized, the the beginning of patience in our life uh, with with a God who seems to be moving glacially slow, delaying his return, delaying his righteousness. The, the, the point, says Peter, is not, first of all, that we need to learn to be patient with God for the things that we want God to do. But, Peter says, the beginning of patience is to realize that God is being patient with us. Uh, the beginning of patience is when we realize God's patience towards his people. The patience of God that is giving you and me time to grow up. Of course, those two are always connected, aren't they? God's patience and our patience. For example, if a, uh, you have a seven-year-old daughter, and the seven-year-old daughter comes to you and says, Mommy, Daddy, I want a bike. As you walk down the aisle in the store, and I want that bike, she declares. And being a good parent, you say, that's great. We think you should have a bike. We're in favor of you biking. Biking is good. And that's a fine bike that you've chosen. And we'd like to give you that bike. But you know what, sweetheart? That bike costs $100. And we know that three weeks from now, that same bike will be on sale at a different store for only $30. (laughs) Now, a normal person figures three weeks is a reasonable amount of time to wait for savings like that. In fact, it's wise. Doesn't tax your patience at all, does it? But if you're a seven-year-old, right, it more than taxes your patience. And so she says what? Oh, you don't love me. You don't want me to have a bike. I want it now. Three weeks. I could be dead by then. (laughs) And now, the impatience of the youngster meets the patience of the parent. And the parent just simply absorbs the impatient perspective. Just simply absorbs the accusations and charges of maltreatment because the parent has a greater perspective. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day relatively speaking. 
So why does God need to be patient with you, his child? To answer that, we need to understand the problem that Jesus' return is the solution for. Jesus' return is called, in verse 10, the day of the Lord. Now stop and think about that for just a moment. This is the day of the Lord that Peter is talking about. What does it mean that it's the Lord's day? If somebody comes to you and says, this is your day. This day is all about you. What would that mean? Hopefully it would mean that there was something that was special happening in your life on this day. Maybe it would mean that it was your birthday. Uh, This day is your birthday and we are going to celebrate you. Now some of you I know, I've been fairly impressed. You stretch that out and you don't just have a birthday, you have a birth week. You have your own private little advent every year leading up to your birth when you celebrate with gusto. This is your day after all. Maybe it's your day and you're getting married. Maybe you have worked for years and you are finally graduating with your Ph.D. It's your day. Maybe it's your wedding anniversary or your retirement or some other day like that. And and people legitimately look at you and say, this is your day. This day is all about you. And so when somebody is talking about this being their day, Her day, his day, it means that something unusual is happening. And and on this day, that person is in the spotlight. Everybody uh, else who knows them, everybody else who is around them, sort of the normal pattern and pace and behaviors in the relationship change a little bit on that day when it is your day. right? Your normal relationship stops and a new kind of relationship begins. Right? It is really only on your wedding day that you can expect to tell other people how to pose in your pictures. It's really only on your birthday that you can expect other people to burst out into song for you. It's only when you graduate that you can expect people to stand and applaud when you enter a room. On your day, things revolve around you differently. Your needs are supreme. Your accomplishments are supreme. Your interests are supreme. And then everybody else is in a supporting cast. All of the rest of us work our schedules around you on your day. We work our finances around you on your day. All of us are in the wings. And on your day, you are in the spotlight. It's your day. So another way to, uh, to think about this, came across the account of a play. It was a Broadway play that was being produced a number of years ago now. And when the play was in its rehearsal phases, um, the director and all of the cast members and all of the crew members recognized that the play was in serious trouble. And it wasn't working at all. Nothing was working. In fact, it was a disaster. There was no energy. Nothing was 
gelling. Nothing was being conveyed emotionally. Everybody felt it was a disaster. Everybody involved was concerned. Everybody was worried about it. And then one day, the director of this play had an idea. And it came as a flash of insight. And and the director uh, went to the lead actress in this play and said to her, I'm very sorry, but you, you don't have what it takes to be the lead in this play. And then he went to the supporting actress and said, I would like you to try the lead. And to the lead actress and you to play support. And in that moment, with that one switch, it was as if somebody had electrified the cast. Everything began to work. Everything began to come together. Everything began to gel. The rehearsals began to go smoothly. They had energy. They had momentum. They had excitement. And not only did the rehearsals have energy, but the play went off and was a huge success. And until that moment, until that switch, when the lead actress stepped into the supporting role and the supporting actress stepped into the lead role, nobody realized the gifts and the abilities and the, and the, and the, uh, the skill of that supporting actress. It wasn't until she was in the center, until she was in the spotlight, that everybody could see her skill and talent. And it was real. The true ability of that actor was revealed in that moment. And the Bible is saying, and Peter is saying, that that play, the story of that play on Broadway, is actually a metaphor, not only of the way that the entire world works, but it's also a metaphor of the way that our individual lives work as well. The world will not be right Your bodies will not be right. Your relationships cannot be right. Your minds will not be right. Your souls will not be right. The creation around you will not be as glorious as it was intended to be. Nothing about you will be right. Until you begin to see, until we begin to see together that the main problem is that we've been playing the lead role in the story of our life. And God is saying, you're not equipped for that role. You're not designed for that role. You can't carry off that role. There's another who needs to step into the spotlight. There's another who needs to play the the lead. And until you switch positions, the play is in trouble, and everybody will know it. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. That's the problem that, that we have all somehow written a script of our lives. Right? We're all telling a story with the way that we live our lives. And in our minds, we have concluded that because we're writing the script of our lives, that we're the lead. And the Bible comes and says, but you're not equipped to play the lead. That's the problem. 
And therefore, the day of the Lord is the solution. The, the day of the Lord, the Lord's day is the day that the Lord steps back into the spotlight and the day becomes about him. The play is centered around him. The light is shined on him. The Lord will play at the center. And every one of us will step back into a supporting role. And Peter is absolutely right. Peter has no doubt, and I have no doubt, that when the Lord appears and claims the spotlight and stands at center stage and plays the lead that only he can play, that that will be bad news for some. That that will be deadly news for some. Some who are deeply committed to staying in the center, to playing the lead, to having the spotlight. And sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's subtle. It's, it's clear in the pages of Scripture, and, and we hope that in the cause of justice it is clear that God will oppose those who are violent and evil and wicked. That justice would demand that God would set that right. Every bit of us, every fiber of us calls out for that. In a more subtle experience of that longing, there will even be moments and times when the coming of Jesus is challenging and dangerous for those of us who call ourselves Christians. We, we begin our Christian life by saying to Jesus, we want to serve you, we want to worship you, we want to know you, we want you to be in charge of our lives. But then because of our sin hearts, our immaturity, we get impatient with the way that he's running things and we begin to see ourselves and imagine ourselves more and more and more in the lead role again. And we begin to wonder, even as we become a Christian, even as we become a follower of Jesus, usually when we're still spiritually young, how it is that we can write Jesus into the play that we're writing about our lives. Uh, we begin to say things like, uh, you know, I, as I look at my life, these are the things that I want. These are my goals. These are my objectives. I'll have this and this and this and this. And I wonder if among all of the other things that I'm doing to pursue those goals, if, there was a, if, if there's a role that Jesus might play in helping that to happen. And we begin to imagine all of the wonderful supporting assistance that Jesus can offer to us. As the Christian grows and matures and seasons, the follower of Jesus begins to realize that the more she puts herself in the supporting role and the more she places Jesus in supremacy, in the leading role, the more she will grow. The more you will grow, the more you will find your own heart of patience, the more you will find your own wisdom in waiting, the more you will find your own space for God's pace. 
And so therefore, all followers of Jesus, all Christians, are in the position of seeking to hurry along the day of the Lord. We hurry along the day of the Lord. We're, we're waiting for it. We're looking for it. We're trying to bring it about every day. How? Well, every day that I'm trying to make this the day of the Lord. Every day that I'm trying to make this the, the, the Lord's day instead of my day. Because the more I make it about His day, the more I grow. And God's patience is giving me the room to grow. So what I want to say really clearly about God's patience is this. Uh, What Peter is saying really clearly and, and very explicitly is this. Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying God is patient and God is giving you room to get your life together before he comes back and he doesn't want you to get in trouble. That isn't what Peter is saying here at all. In verse 9, he says, uh, not that he wants you to get your life together, but rather that he wants you to repent. He, he doesn't say, I want you to live perfectly. I want you to be good. I want you to be moral. I want you to follow the rules. He doesn't say that those are the things that God is waiting for. He's saying that he's waiting, he's waiting for us to repent. Those are the ones, he says, who will not perish. Those are the ones who will find that they stand on stage. And anybody can repent. It doesn't require a great deal of moral superiority or accomplishment to repent. It just simply requires that we swallow our pride. And repenting is the beginning of giving up the central role in the play of my life. Repenting is the first step of turning over the script to Jesus. Now, when you look around, you look at your own life, you evaluate the way that you're doing life, you evaluate your accomplishments, your behaviors, your relationships. And maybe you draw the conclusion that you're the only one in your family that isn't a mess. Maybe you draw the conclusion that you're the only one in in your neighborhood who isn't a mess. Or you're the only one at, at your work who isn't having an affair or taking a bribe or doing it wrong. So you feel pretty good about yourself. You feel pretty confident about who you are. And Peter says, not only will you, because you're still standing on center stage, not only will you, under those circumstances, still face judgment, but Jesus says to the the Pharisees, the, the prostitutes and the pimps will go into the kingdom of heaven before you. Because it isn't the ones who are good who pass judgment. It's the ones who repent. It's not the ones who are good and know how good they are. It's the ones who know that they're not good. The ones who are willing to step aside. Uh, The ones who are willing to see 
in the beauty of the gospel. A Jesus who is willing and able to step into the center. God is being patient until we repent. God is being patient until the gospel has finally done its full work. The full extent of its power has been realized. Its best work has been accomplished. And it places Jesus in the center. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, as we so often stomp our feet and pace the room and angrily demand instant results, as our impatience shows itself through the threadbare efforts of our self-control, we are thankful that you are patient with us. We're thankful that your patience is giving us the space to grow into maturity in you. Uh, The space to, to repent and to turn over the central role of our lives to you. To find in that place of support and recognizing your supremacy, our true glory and our true calling. Lord, as we grow into that place of resting in you, we thank you for your patience. Amen.